The following is a presentation from the Recycling Council of Alberta's 2020 webinar series, Building Resiliency of Material Systems. The RCA would like to thank our supporters for making this webinar possible, including Platinum Sponsor, the Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation. In this segment, Shannon Medima, the Energy and Environment Program Manager with the City of Halifax, talks about advancing environmental policy in a pandemic. Halifax 2050, Acting on Climate Together, is a commitment to reducing emissions, switching to clean and reliable energy sources, and demonstrating local government leadership. I, I really appreciate the, the first two speakers, because, and I, I'm really happy because I feel like we're all in a lot of alignment. Um, we were working away on a new and updated climate plan for the city of Halifax um, for the better part of a year before COVID hit. And our council actually declared a climate emergency in January of 2019 and said, okay, we know you're working on this updated climate plan, like it better align with everything that the new international um, climate experts are saying to us, it better align with the 1.5 degree pathway, um, which was great because that's what we were intending uh, in the first place. So we've been working at full steam to try and get our climate plan in front of council by the spring. Uh, and then of course, COVID hit in the spring in March. Um, and I think we probably experienced a lot of what you, you folks have experienced where everything kind of, you know, slowed down as everybody um, immediately responded to the acute emergency of the COVID-19 pandemic. But then over time, as, as things started kind of adjusting um, and our council was able to resume virtually, just like a lot of other city and government councils, um, they had to start prioritizing a list of, you know, what is going to be on these special virtual meeting agendas of regional council. And, um, I had been pushing kind of gently with my management and senior management that like I get that COVID's a giant crisis and it's horrible, but we have this other crisis that's not going away. This had been a priority of council before COVID hit. We should probably ask if it should remain a priority um, and, and get on to the agenda. The other thing that was going on in the background is that our council has uh, an election coming up October 17th, so just in a couple short weeks. Um, and a lot of them were really hoping to have the climate plan in advance of the election for probably obvious campaigning purposes. Um, and, you know, the, the climate emergency was declared unanimously. So we, we're really lucky here that we have support of our mayor and council. We have strong leadership that really wants to see really quick and fast and big action on climate change. Um, so it was uh, encouraging to see that um, the international conversation as well as national conversation were really turning to calls for a green economic recovery, a green transition actually being enabled through a recovery plan after COVID where, you know, there's a lot of things horrible about COVID, but there are some silver linings where we are kind of being given a chance to really rethink a lot of the way we do things because the hard part about fighting climate change is that it's so deeply complex it's so systemic it's across the way we we do and think and act about everything um and 
we can call on, you know, public to change their daily behaviors. And that's great. And that's a big part of it. But a lot of what needs to happen is really on us as government and on us as big business and on us as utilities to enable the types of like policy and legislative change and investments and programs to really move the needle on climate action. Um, and so we actually have a, an economic recovery strategy for the city of Halifax. And I started talking to the folks who are on that team creating it and um, said, you know, I'm looking at your draft of this recovery plan. It's, it's good, but it says nothing about the climate emergency. It says nothing about green transition jobs, you know, uh, economic stimulation, transferring investments, trying to actually align with our climate plan or building resilience. And so we work together and that is, I'm really happy that that worked out. And that's all actually now embedded in our economic recovery strategy. I have all these new best friends with our Halifax partnership and with um, the business industry, which I had typically not been very well connected to working in environment for city government. So it's been really great because they agreed to commit to these things. And now they're actually working with us and with lots of others trying to figure out how to deliver on these promises, right? How to actually make these things happen. So um, we we were happy that council wanted to see our plan. We made it by June 23rd. Um, and this was the motion that was debated and approved. We got unanimous approval, which was really fantastic as well. Um, so they, they endorsed the plan in principle. We actually have a, a target for our municipal operations of net zero by 2030, which includes our waste, wastewater, and all those types of things that I'll touch on in a little more detail after. Um, we prioritized seven kind of critical first large moves that we need to focus on, and they endorsed those as our first steps. Um, we committed to you know, annually reporting on our progress with a series of metrics and qualitative and quantitative uh, performance indicators. And then the one piece that's interesting is, you know, our, our organization on the administrative side, like our chief financial officer said, you know, we're in a really bad financial situation, just like every other municipal government, because most of our money is from property taxes, which we deferred for a number of months. Um, and now we're not sure a lot of our big players are going to be able to pay those property taxes like hotels and, and um, large malls and things like that. So, so we don't want to commit to the resource ask because I was going to be asking for a pile more staff and some money for consulting and different project work because our team is actually really small. I have five staff and only two do climate and energy related work uh, for the whole city. So that was part of what had been approved in the drafting of the report and the council motion. And then um, they said, no, you can't ask for that. You have to say that you're going to come back and ask for that when we're in a, in a sound, stable financial situation. And council said, actually, no, like we can't wait that long. You're talking about this urgent crisis and this need for fast, large action. Like we actually need to resource you as fast as possible. So make sure that that ask is embedded in the next budget planning cycle for 21-22. So that was a really great support from our council for us to hear as staff and for our directors to hear as well and our chief administrative officer that, you know, this is serious like we can't drop absolutely everything because of COVID we have enough money to do some things and guess what this is actually one of our top priorities so we were very very happy um, the evening of June 23rd <laughs> when that happened so just a little bit about the plan we basically spent um, the better part of a year and a 
quarter, I guess, um, doing our modeling work, our climate work, uh, and engaging with the public and also all of our key stakeholders. We'd been targeting the spring of 2020, so technically we were only like two days late since we hit um, June 23rd. And now we're kind of in this area of shared implementation. We're like, okay, well now what? How do we actually implement this giant plan? And um, what we knew right from the start was because we'd had these older climate plans, every city's had climate plans for probably more than 10, 15 years. Um, we knew what worked and what really didn't work. And we knew that it wasn't just about engaging on developing the plan. We, we had to get the buy-in from our critical key stakeholders that they were going to work with us on setting our targets and the actions within our plan, but then to commit to holding responsibility for co-implementation. Because as a city government, corporately, we impact about 1% of total emissions within our municipality. We can influence a lot of others through policy planning and legislation and things like that. But um, we're really hugely codependent on our utilities, the other levels of government, our businesses, etc. So we spent a very long time doing deep engagement um, and the other big piece was we wanted to have a far more inclusive process we approached everything with a, a lens of equity and diversity and inclusion we actually have a diversity and inclusion office as part of our municipal government which does fantastic work in helping us form relationships and have introductions with um, lots of different communities so we had a lot of Mi'kmaq engagement our African Nova Scotian communities um, and lots of other groups uh, so we did that and then you know we hired a um, sustainability solutions group which have done a lot of the climate planning work across the country and beyond and they did a fantastic job showing us what the what the picture is in Halifax what does it actually mean to get to net zero by 2050 so that top blue dashed line is business as usual um, so uh, we did our baseline study for 2016, and then that blue dash line is what would happen if we did nothing outside of our existing commitments and plans. And then the purple line driving down steeply is um, the 1.5 degree pathway that we're trying to follow. So uh, clearly a large gap. And so then what SSG does is they they have this model and it's temporal and it's spatial and they take all the data that you can give them on all fronts and they throw actions and categories of actions at the model to see if they can make it more closely aligned with that 1.5 degree pathway in time for 2050. Understanding that with our carbon budget, like we're actually gonna blow our carbon budget by 2027 or 2028 under the business as usual scenario. So the bulk of the emissions we have to cut, uh, we have to do in the next really nine years now, really by 2030. Um, so if, I don't know if you can see clearly, but the, the red is on retrofitting existing buildings. So Halifax has a really old building stock. We have a lot of heritage buildings. So a lot of conversations about um, maintaining those for an, from an environmental and climate perspective as well as heritage and cultural value and, and all kinds of other things. Um, but so we don't have an easy building stock to retrofit, uh, but that is our single largest opportunity for driving down emissions. And then the green and blue are on renewables, so solar and other large scale renewables, um, and then net zero new buildings, electrifying transportation, and then that gray other action areas actually is where it includes water and wastewater um, and industrial processes. 
So our plan is, um, it's 46 actions and they're um, themed in three different groups. So we have decarbonized and resilient infrastructure, prepared and connected communities and governance and leadership. So our plan is both a mitigation plan and also an adaptation plan. So um, we, we did that, a lot, not a lot of cities had done that, but we did some research and we, we thought that really the conversation needed to be better blended together and it helps make business cases um, stronger whether their mitigation or adaptation was our thinking. And so far it seems to have been working. Um, so these are some of the sub themes and the three overarching areas of the plan. And this is all online. Um, and this is just an example of one of the little subgroups of actions and how it's laid out in the plan. So it's showing actions 31 to 34 focused on community capacity building. Um, and then we have a timeline so we say we're either starting it immediately, we're starting it in the short term, medium or long term, or if it's an ongoing forever type of action. And then these are the seven areas of focus that we committed to um, with council. So retrofitting, uh, sorry, reimagining our solar city program that we have now to actually be a deep energy retrofit program um, that includes renewables as well as climate resilience measures like flood prevention. Uh, to retrofit our municipal building stock to be net zero and climate resilient, we want to electrify transportation, not only corporately, but across the community, um, to establish net zero standards for new buildings, to come up with a framework for assessing and improving our critical infrastructure, not just what we own as a city, but what everybody else owns. So like the rail, the railroads, the bridges, the highways, um, the shelters, the critical services, things like that. And then um, some adaptation stuff on capacity building in communities, some hazard, like climate hazard mapping work and community um, awareness and education work. And then to come up with a financing strategy to really operationalize the plan over 30 years, looking at all kinds of innovative um, and all available financing options basically. So just to dive into the municipal target, because I think that's where um, there might be some interest with the folks listening. Um, one of the things that the consultant calls for is to come up with a, a, a waste strategy uh, to reduce residential waste and increase waste diversion. And it says the goals are to reduce per capita residential waste by 30% to divert 100% of residential and ICI waste from landfill, um, to increase landfill gas capture to generate electricity, and to route 100% of organic waste to anaerobic digester um, or generate biogas by 2030. So um, there's been a, a longstanding call for extended producer responsibility um, requirements in Halifax and in Nova Scotia that doesn't exist yet. So continuing to work on that um, looking at options of what kind of procurement policies we can put in place um, that we're enabled to do that require um, different types of recycled content. Um, right now, we collect 20,000 tons annually of residential blue bag material that's processed through our recycling facility. But right now we're in a really tough spot finding a market for those plastics. And I know we're not alone in that. Um, we've been having problems even before COVID and now we're having even more problems. We do have um, a factory here that creates uh, 
plastic lumber from recycled products. And so we're, um, our waste group is actually putting on presentations right now this month across the different departments within the city to try and see where there are opportunities to incorporate plastic lumber instead of traditional wood. I know we're already using it in park benches and um, furniture and things like that. Um, but we definitely have some some very large challenges um, in this area. And this is not my area of expertise because we have a whole waste department, but we do work with them on this. We had just actually um, been told to come up with a, a plastic bag ban uh, before the province took over and said that they would do a provincial scale ban uh, before COVID hit. And now of course, everyone's using more plastic bags uh, than ever before. So I'm not sure what's what the fate of that legislation is going to be. Um, but if the waste strategy is designed as the consultant is calling for, we would reduce by 30 kilotons of equivalent CO2, greenhouse gas emissions, um, out of the total 3,590 kilotons that we have to reduce to get to 2050. So it's not the biggest piece, but it's a very significant piece of reduction. And the big take home message from our consultants that they told us over and over again is you don't get to just pick and choose any actions from your plan. Uh, you have to do them all or you're definitely not gonna follow this pathway, right? So a lot of people would look at that wedge model that I showed and say, well, my piece isn't that big. Is it not important? Yeah, it's important. It's all hugely important. And the other thing is when we're talking about adaptation um, and like carbon sequestration, like there's such a big importance on preserving our lands, um, not just adding new landfills, having really functional ecosystems um, and not wasting what we have. Like that is a conversation that is kind of quiet quietened as we were focused so much on climate mitigation, at least kind of in the government realms that I live in, but it, it's getting a louder voice now. And we've, we've added to that with our climate plan calling for some further actions um, because it's really, it's really so critical and it's also interconnected. Um, when we took this to council, because we had a couple of months of extra time before it hit with COVID, we really, and because of, the economic ramifications of COVID, we, we spent some time really framing up what the economic opportunity was for accepting and diving into this climate plan. Um, basically, there was a financial component to the model that the consultants did, and it shows that to pay for everything that has to happen is about $22 billion over the 30-year time frame, but that you'll actually be up an additional $22 billion, so $44 billion by the end collectively, if you make those investments and succeed in those actions. And um, being up results from savings from avoided energy costs, avoided operations and maintenance costs, carbon pricing costs that we know are coming if they're not you know, here already in some places, and increased energy generation revenues. Um, the hard part is that the it's a really high level finance model. It's just to because it all for so many people comes down to the dollars, which you know makes sense. You have to have a sound business case. Um, was really to show that, or so sorry. The issue was that it's not um, specific to who is who is putting the money in and who is gaining from the action. Right. This is the collective. Um, so everyone wants to know what their piece is, and that's just a whole separate conversation. But, you know, from a government perspective, we have a, a role to invest in things that are good for 
the public, right? There is an argument to be made that climate action is something that we should be spending money on, taxpayer dollars on, right? Um, so we really stressed that in the plan and to council and it seemed to go over fairly well. And then the other thing is that there's a real social opportunity um, because all the work that we can do in communities to build resilience in those communities, whatever that means for that community, if they're stronger and healthier and more connected, they are gonna be more resilient against really any shock and impact, including those of weather and climate. Um, and the more we engage and work meaningfully with them to um, deal with a lot of the social injustices that have happened historically, um, you know, that's all, that's all positive. It's all good if we're working to improve in those areas and also layering in climate change with it. And if the climate plan can help push on those fronts, I'm very happy. We just had the, um, um, the conference yesterday, what's it called? The city is a living lab or something like that. Um, that's usually held in Halifax and half of the day was on climate justice and equity. Um, so, so, those worlds are really merging, um, at least from my perspective. So a lot of the work, you know, on retrofits and things like that will reduce energy burden. So it'll reduce energy poverty. Atlantic Canada actually has the highest level of energy poverty um, in the country. And, um, and then all the work that we're doing now to address climate change is only going to benefit our future generations. And we know largely how the youth feel about this based on all the climate strikes. Actually, the group that's did the strike here last year, of which we had, I think, uh, at least 3,000 people show up to um, City Hall, uh, is planning a strike this Friday, uh, again, a year later. So um, they're, they're going to keep going with their message. I'm almost done here, but just one thing, when we were doing our stakeholder follow-up after the plan went through, um, we were really happy because our stakeholders, we had over 130 stakeholders on the call, um, all very happy that the plan had gone through. They were all aligned with the net zero by 2050 target, which I think I might not have even said, but our target is net zero by 2050 and a three quarter reduction by 2030. So 75% reduction in emissions across the city um, by 2030. And the big question that was left hanging was like, how do we actually do this together across these big clunky systems, these big giant organizations that might have a common ultimate goal, but a lot of different ideas on how to get there and a lot of differences of opinions on how to get there and a lot of different barriers on how to get there. And so we created this cohort that went to this intensive summer school training program. It was virtual. Um, it was called Complexity University um, and it's, based on the gigaton strategy. So the gigaton strategy says, globally, if we want to get ourselves to where we need to be by 2050, we have to reduce by a gigaton every single year. Um, and so if you, if you think on that scale is overwhelming, you don't know what to do first, but if you break it down into small chunks, um, then you can start. So we had this cohort of stakeholders that did this virtual training. It was every single day, the month of August, and it really challenged the way we think about approaching a problem. Um, and so they gave us this assignment, which was to cut by just one ton of emissions in one month. That's it. And you would think that would be simple, but when you bring in people from Nova Scotia Power and from the province and from the city and from the nonprofits and a youth perspective and all the people that we had in the cohort, super wasn't easy and we actually haven't done it yet. Um, but it was basically trying to make the argument that you shouldn't have these long-term strategic plans um, 
you shouldn't spend all this time on these long-term strategic plans. You should be looking at prototyping um, and taking a small chunk and just seeing what sticks and then constantly learning, taking risks, evolving, and you should be working across stakeholders. And it really resonated with everybody that was doing that training, myself included. And so we're looking at maybe using um, kind of like the innovation lab that we have here in the city and bringing people from our key stakeholders and then just um, and just running a bunch of different projects, starting with the ones that align with those seven big moves that we have to do first. Um, and so we're trying to kind of get some approvals to do that um, right now. But that is really one of our biggest challenges. And I'll stop there. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this 2020 webinar series podcast. Search for On the Cusp. Alberta's Circular Podcast on iTunes and Google Play for more from the RCA. Or visit recycle.ab.ca to see the full presentations.